All right, good morning, church. So glad you're joining us this morning. I'm, I'm not quite sure where you are. Uh, at least here in Colorado, we're in the midst of a snowstorm. Uh, and so if you're one of our Colorado people, we hope you are safe and warm and happy and snuggled up together as a family. Of course, as always, if you need anything, please let us know if you're tuning in from Canada, Washington, California, Arizona, all the other different places. We hope you're having a great uh, morning as well. Uh, I hope you enjoyed worship. I hope you enjoyed, uh, even if you're in the confines of your home with others or you're alone, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, being brought along in worship because it's a pretty special gift to be able to receive that. If you're joining us for the first time, or maybe it's been a handful of weeks, uh, we are in our final week of this brand new series that we titled Five Secrets for Growth, our final week. We began by really looking at uh, the gift of prayer and, and why prayer is so critical to our growth, to have that relationship, to have that conversation with God on a regular basis grows our faith, it grows our maturity in Him. And then Pastor Alex took two weeks and did a phenomenal job unpacking how and, and why the importance of diving into God's Word and how that is our pillar, that's our foundation, that's how He speaks to us in very, very powerful ways. And then the second week, uh, unpacking worship again how worship is is more than just a handful of songs on a given Sunday morning. It's more than just uh, singing some songs after the the message that it's part of our life. It's, it's who we are. We're called to a life of worship. And then last week, we tackled the somewhat difficult topic of growth, and that is confession, that, that we confess not only to God our sins, but the Bible encourages us that in order to grow, there, there's an importance of confessing those sins to another person. And I, I know several of you either texted me or threw it on the chat or grabbed me afterwards and said, that's, that's asking a lot, that's difficult. And I want to say to you, if, if any of these areas that we've covered in how to grow seem to be too much or too hard or asking too much of you, Start little, start baby steps. The last thing we want is to give you homework or a directive that sets you up for failure. And so if one of these becomes really difficult, then take your time and ease into it. And that brings us to our fifth one this morning, and that is community. We're going to unpack what does community look like. So uh, as we begin, if you're able at home and you choose to, to get off the couch or uh, you're in the kitchen, go ahead and stay standing. We're going to read God's Word out of Acts chapter 2, starting at verses 44 and finishing at 46. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, so whatever translation you are using might be a little bit different. But here's what God's Word says says, and all the believers, all the Christians, all the Christ followers at this early church, first century church, these believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those who were in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and, and shared all of their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship 
those who were being saved. Amen. That is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may have a seat or you can remain seated. Uh, so I don't know about you, but I like puzzles. Uh, there's, there's no one here, so I can't get a show of hands, but uh, thank you. Alex is in the crow's nest. If you're at home, raise your hand if you like puzzles. Okay, so I, I like puzzles. Now, I don't like being the primary puzzle master uh, you know, the person in charge. I like to be the helper. I, I like to throw a piece here and there. I make sure not to be that person who walks in when there's only two pieces left and put those in. I, I, I know not to do that. But I have to admit, uh, in years past, uh, I have been known to kind of force a piece that I think ought to be there, uh, that it kind of looks like it, or it's kind of the shape, uh, and you kind of force it. I don't do that anymore, but I, I grew out of that. But as in my younger years, I would force those puzzle pieces uh, to, be, to be pushed in. Now my role is more of a helper. I help my kids, help my parents, help whoever wants to do a puzzle. I'll do that. I just don't want to be the puzzle master. And here's what I've learned about puzzles. There is a reason why the picture of the puzzle is on the box, right? We, we look at that when we're picking out a puzzle or we're picking out one to do or we're picking out one that we're going to purchase. We look at the picture. Why? Because that gives us a glimpse of where all these puzzle pieces are heading, what the ultimate goal is, what the picture is going to look like. If you don't force the puzzle pieces, this is what your puzzle is going to look like. And, and I've learned that you've got to have that picture in sight as you begin to put the pieces together because there's a bunch of different colors. I, I know some of you try and challenge yourself with crazy, crazy puzzles. Others use the big, you know, six inches by six inches puzzle pieces. Um, but pieces have different colors. They have different shapes. They even have little different artistic textures to them, depending on what the picture of the puzzle is going to end up being. And that all matters when putting the puzzle together. That, that's an important aspect. Otherwise, we end up forcing pieces or we, we put things where they weren't supposed to be and we try and make the picture something it was never, ever intended to be. But if we have the picture in mind, that's our guide. And the same is true for us. God has given us a very clear picture of what our lives ought to look like. A very clear picture that if we take all the pieces of our life and put them together, that ultimately here is what God as the great designer and the creator of my life and yours, if we follow his plan, if we follow his blueprint, if we follow the picture on the book, we end up looking like and acting like what God desired. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says this, for you have been called for this purpose because Christ also suffered for you. Here it is, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. He left an example for you. It shouldn't be this mystery. Now, we might have to fight and force our desires and our opinion aside, but if we're willing and we're willing to look clearly into the scriptures, God tells us this is how you are to live. I've left you an example so that you will follow in Jesus' 
steps. And thankfully, we have a Jesus. We, we have a Lord. We have a King. We have a Savior. He lived 33 years of sinless life on this planet. So thankful for that example, for the spotless lamb. He gave his life on the cross so that you and I could live. He was killed, but he conquered death because death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him down. And he rose again, and the force behind Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, guided by God the Father, has never been slowed down, let alone stopped. His force continues to this day. It's on the move, and we're seeing it everywhere we turn. And that's incredible, but while we're here on earth, while we still exist today, while, while we're about to go out and shovel a lot of snow later on this afternoon, God said, I also want you to see a greater picture. I want you to see how things are to work. And we tend to think of that from a very personal way. We, we look at it from my life and how I'm to live and how I'm to spend my time or how I'm supposed to spend my money. And, and that's incredible. God has absolutely gifted us with those examples, but he took it a step further. What, what, what God did is he said, I also want you to see that your best life lived The best version of you is not conformed to the likeness around you and around your thoughts or around the culture around you, but of Jesus. So when we allow culture to invade or whisper or shout or insinuate how we are to live, We have to listen with a critical ear. That is when cultures tries to force isolation and aloneness and individualism. Me, my, I, my thoughts. It doesn't fit because that's not what the picture shows on the box. That's not what the Bible describes. And the Bible we know is absolute ultimate truth. And we begin to force those pieces. And and the Bible says that's not how we grow. Because for the follower of Jesus, our lives should look more and more like Jesus and not more and more like ourselves or the patterns of this world. He's also given us a glimpse of what the church ought to look like. What the church should operate as who we should be as Christ followers as we gather. Now, we're gathered all over the nation and really all over the world. We have people in Africa. We have uh, great Linda in Canada who probably mocks us when we think we have super snowy uh, and cold temperatures, but we're all over the place. But God has given us this picture of what the church should look like. And it's the fifth, not so secret, secret in ways that we grow individually. And not just individually, but how we grow together. And that is through community. That the fifth secret of growth is community. That you need it and I need it in order to continue to grow. And as you read the pages of Scripture, when you begin with Genesis and go all the way through the book of Revelation, you can almost hear God saying, My dear ones, my sons and daughters, this isn't just a social hour. 
This isn't just a time when you get together to grab a cup of coffee and sing some songs. This isn't a club. This isn't a place just for uh, incredible potlucks. This is the body of Christ. When you gather together in community, you are choosing the greatest form of community that this planet has ever known, the body of Christ. And you, Christ follower, are a part of it. And there you have it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Just a few verses earlier than than what we just read, it, it speaks of the fellowship, the gathering of believers. And God is saying, this is the picture. This is what you're shooting for. This is what you are longing for. This is what you protect. This is what you build. This is what you grow. This is what you strengthen. And that is the fellowship. This is what it will ultimately look like when we're done on this earth. And you can almost hear God saying, when I choose to come back, when I come back and I, and I gather my people, this is the picture of the church. And it's the fundamental way that God wants to grow your faith. In community. Now, what we read is that the early believers devoted themselves certainly to the breaking of bread. That just means they ate and whenever they could, and they viewed whenever they could, that was a gift and a celebration of God. But they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, fellowship is an interesting word. We we don't use it too often today. It's it's kind of been watered down probably over the last 30, 40, 50 years, the fellowship. If you've been around church for any length of time uh, and you attended a, a larger church, certainly larger than ours, then you may remember going to the fellowship hall or the fellowship room. Why? Because uh, we Christians were a little bit different, so uh, we need to be told that's the area where we fellowship. And so we've called it the fellowship hall. We, we get together, uh, we finish the service. We're going to have a cup of coffee together. Please join us in the fellowship hall to fellowship. You go to a wedding. We finish it. We finish the wedding. We're having a reception where in the fellowship hall, because that's where we fellowship. Anyway, I digress a little bit on that. It's an interesting word, but listen, in, in verse 42 of Acts 2, we see that they devoted themselves to what? Yes, the fellowship. And here's the point. Because if we dig deeper than that which comes to mind when we say the word fellowship or we hear someone else say the word fellowship, we find the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. In in Acts, they devote themselves to koinonia. And it literally means this, to share life together to share life together, to share the highs and the lows, the celebrations and the sorrows, to share life together. It it makes sense why the early church uh, in in modern society named rooms the fellowship hall because we want to share life together, so let's just call it what it is. It makes sense now digging deeper to be with one another, to have a heart for one another, to care about one another, to share burdens for one another, to celebrate one another, to encourage one another. And the early church fought for this. 
They fought for the ability to assemble together because they knew the importance of growth is with the other person standing next to you, not alone. This is what caused the author of Hebrews to write in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. That some people is not referring to the pagans. It's not referring to those who aren't following Christ. It's referring to those people and newsflash, not much has changed, who think it's just about my relationship and I can have that on vacation. I can have that on the golf course. I can have that in my living room. I don't really need other people. In fact, I don't really even like other people. So I like just having my personal relationship with Jesus. And so the author writes to confront that. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Now, granted, we have all different kinds of technology that allows us to still connect, but you can't replace being together in person. This is sort of, if you would, the secret sauce of the early church. No one went without. They shared, they sang together, they prayed together, they served together. That's the model of the church. And in a world and in a time that trumpets autonomy, and you decide who you are, and you do your thing, and you be you, and don't let anyone tell you what to be, how to do it, what to say, how to act, or otherwise. God says, that's not where the puzzle piece goes. You're trying to force that piece, and that's not how I designed the picture. In fact, that's not even close to the picture. It's not the right piece in the right place. It's been said that we are more uh, connected now than any other people group that have ever walked the earth. Let that settle in for a second. We don't have to debate how old the earth is. If you have questions about that, you can ask Dan Montaneri or uh, Steve Schumacher. They'll answer all your questions in regards to the, the date of our earth. But we don't have to argue that. We don't have to debate that. Well, here's what we can agree on. The earth is old. We good with that? It's been around for a long, long time. Who knows how many years, but it's been around a long time. When I say there's never been a people group more connected than you and I today, that should sink in a little bit. But in the same breath, experts will tell you that we are more alone now than any society that has ever existed. Two truths polar opposite the same way. But that's not how we were created. You and I were created as Christ followers, as sons and daughters of the King, to live and work together for a common good, for His kingdom, not yours, certainly not mine, but for His and therefore, we must work together because we're one body. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 tells us this. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And there's great health here. There, there's foundational living here is that we need one another. 
And that as culture begins to separate us, that we have to be careful with that. This last week, I I read an article in the Washington Post, and it was written by Melinda Gates, a wife of Bill Gates. Hopefully, you know who they are. If not, you can Google them. It was posted in August of 2017, so it's not fresh, but it's, it's definitely relevant. And Melinda was writing on the effects of social media and cell phones and and apps on not only adults, but also her children and and addressing this idea that these technologies were meant to draw us together, but not quite sure it's actually happening. Here's what she wrote in part. She said, I wasn't prepared for smartphones and social media. I didn't understand how they would transform the way my kids grew up. This is coming from the Gates family. As a mother who wants to make sure her children are safe and happy, I worry. And I think back to how I might have done things differently. Maybe you can relate to that. The social media, the email, the text realm provides us with a a sense of community and friendship. And hear me on this, in a lot of ways it does. In a lot of ways it does exactly that. It creates friendship and it creates community. So we're not throwing shade on all things technology, but it also lies to us. It's one of the tactics of the enemy, if you didn't know that give partial truth, and then wrap it in a lie. At the time of the article, it was discovered that eighth graders who spend 10 hours or more on social media per week were 56% more likely to experience depression than those who spent less. It's a big deal. Gates goes on to say this, phones and apps aren't good or bad by themselves, but for adolescents who don't yet have the emotional tools to navigate life's complications and confusing, uh, confusions, they can exasperate the difficulties of growing up, learning how to be kind, coping with feelings of exclusion, taking advantage of freedom while exercising self-control. It's more important than ever to teach empathy from the very beginning because our kids are going to need it. I hope that made you feel a, a pause. Because here we have the wife of one of the greatest inventors of technology that our world has ever known, and she is concerned. If we're really giving our kids and our people even authentic community. And what I would say to Melinda Gates, respectfully, I would shout, amen, amen, amen. I would follow it up by saying yes to everything you said in community. Because that combats it. And not just for the teen, it's certainly not just for the child, but for the adult, for the married couple, for the, for the single, for the divorced, for the widowed, for the well-seasoned veteran in this world. We grow real support, real empathy, real celebration, real encouragement and strength in real community. That's biblical. That's why the church will never stop. 
That's why there's power found in the scriptures read aloud together. That's why there's power found when we gather together and sing these songs and fall to our knees and raise our hands because of the overwhelming love of God. And as we do it day in and day out, week after week, month after month, and more and more new people that we find, oh my gosh, you're a brother in Christ, you're a sister in Christ, you've been saved, tell me your story. We're strengthened and we grow in our faith because of community. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, here's what I've heard before in the church. I have enough friends. I don't need any more friends. Number one, I would say that must be nice. And number two, what I would say is, what if it's not about you? What if it's not about you having more friends? What if it's you being a friend to another? say, well, I don't really need to be sharpened by more people. I have enough people sharpening me. I have enough people speaking into my life. Well, what if there's someone who God is calling you to speak into their life to sharpen them? Because that's what we do in community of Jesus Christ. Newsflash, we don't always have to like each other. We don't always have to even love each other. We don't have to be best friends. We don't have to like the same music or the same movies. We don't have to vote the same. Those things are good, but community is so much bigger than those things. And so what else does community look like? We could go for hours today reading scripture passages on God's vision, his thought, his puzzle box, if you would, on community. One of the best ones, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing in your community as you live your life. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, how does that help me grow? It helps you grow in this way. When you walk through our doors, when you come to church, when you go to a life group, uh, when you come to a potluck, when you go on a mission trip, when you volunteer and help out with our foster care Christmas party in July, when you're a part of the church and you show up looking for the interests of others, when you look out to love and care for the other, that grows the heart of Jesus in you. It's amazing. It, it literally happens right before our eyes. And unlike endurance, unlike muscles, uh, unlike even education that often takes a great length of time to grow, God can grow you like that. It's just changing the mindset because that's what we do. That's who we are. And growth happens when we're part of a community that is all thinking pulling, pushing, speaking the same way. And we find this community as we pray together. And we find this community as we read the scriptures together. We find this community as we worship together. And yes, we find this community as we confess our sins to one another. All of that 
in community. And we want to help you grow. That's why we chose this message series is we want to unpack these not-so-secret secrets on growth because we want to help you grow. We want to see you grow. We want to experience that growth. We want to celebrate that growth because we're all stronger when you are growing, when I am growing, when the person sitting next to you in your room right now, when they're growing, the church is stronger. It's our mission. It's, it drives everything we do. This is driving who we are. Uh, our mission statement, Rock Creek Church to ex- exists to equip every single person to take the next step in becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we do what we do. Why? We want you to be a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Because that's the best form of you. That's the best version of you. That's the best version of Christine. That's the best version of Cheryl. That's the best version of Shane and Joe and Paul and Sandy and Amy and Karina. It's the best version of you as you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus. As we get ready to close, I, I want to turn your thoughts to the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. You can read this on your own in the first couple of chapters of that book. If you don't know where Revelation is, it's the final book in the Bible. And when we read this, we see this picture of Jesus stands in the center of the seven candlesticks representing his church or representing his people and he's standing in the midst of the people and you see Jesus is always smack dab in the midst of his people that's where you find him a candlestick and you know this is not the light itself but it's the bearer of the light it holds the light to be used for purpose. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says that Jesus is the light of the world. And as increasing growing candlesticks, the church's mission is to hold that light up for the world to see. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you may shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. It's this picture of you holding the light. So as you grow, you impact. You see, as we spend time in prayer and in the scriptures and in worship and in confession, all in community, we discover the secretive, not-so-secret ways to grow. And growth, walking closer with God, tomorrow than you find yourself today is what He desires. It's what He plans. It's what He hopes for. It's how He maneuvers this world to grow you and thus grow the church.
So friends, if you missed any of our messages in this series, Five Secrets for Growth, I want to invite you to visit our website, rockcreekchurch.org. Uh, it's in the messages area. You can catch up on all of those because they're fundamental. Are there other ways you can grow? 100%. But they're fundamental ways in which you can very tangibly today begin to grow your faith. If you need anything, not just today um, because of the weather, but if you need anything throughout the week, if you need a prayer request uh, prayed for, if you need help with something, please reach out to us. Let us know. Don't forget, uh, next week we begin our new kind of process of entering into the building uh, so that we can take care of our kids and grow more space for them. Thank you in advance for your patience. And may God bless you this day. May he keep you safe. May he also keep you warm. But may he grab your heart in a tender way and take you to a deeper, deeper place that you never thought possible. And there may you experience the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you for this snowy day. We, we praise you for this church, the things that you're doing in and through us. And we ask that you would continue to grow each of us in your presence so that our lives would reflect not of this world, not of ourselves, but would reflect you in everything that we do and say. So we love you. And we pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs>